the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that it all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that, they may be, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but... Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from uh, the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who does not simply sit in heaven far off from your world, but you have entered into this world in our Lord Jesus to seek and to save the lost. Such uh, were we and you uh, wandering far from your fold and you brought us in We thank you for your grace and love that would pursue us. We open our hearts to you now as we turn our minds to study your word. Would you teach us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are in the the final week of a four-week sermon series we've been in called Feast, where we have been talking about the topic of uh, generosity and the vision of Christ Church, kind of a renewal of what is Christ Church about? What do we hope to be? What is our mission? And if you've been with uh, us these four weeks, you may have noticed that the progression of the sermons have gradually moved outward. So the first sermon we had three weeks ago was about hospitality, and it's about how God has given us these homes, and hospitality is the act of taking all the benefits of being in a family, you know, home, and the friendship, and the food, and the comfort, and offering those benefits to those who are outside. So we started with the home. And then we said, you know, everything that the Bible says about hospitality, none of us can do as individuals. So God has given us the tithe as a way that we pool our resources so that we're not just hospitable in individual homes. We're hospitable as a community. And we're working together to welcome in the outsiders, welcome in strangers, welcome in those who don't know the love of Christ. And then last week, we looked at a passage from Jeremiah And said, you know, God has called us not just to be a blessing in our own church, but to seek the shalom of the city of Bellingham. 
He's placed us here. He's sent us here. That, uh, he's made, that this would be a place of spiritual and moral and intellectual formation that would make Bellingham a city that looks more and more like the city of God. And, you know, in that passage, Jeremiah challenged us not to simply have a one to two year vision, but he says to the exiles who are going into Babylon, you're going to be there 70 years. You need to think about the influence of your community over decades and generations later, what's your influence going to be? And so we thought about that, um, about uh, generosity and our, our missions moving from our homes into the church and out to the city. But the mission uh, Jesus has given us in the Bible does not stop simply at our city. And that's why our church's mission statement says this. The mission of Christ Church Bellingham is to proclaim the excellencies of God in Bellingham and from there, throughout the world, through worship, disciple-making, deeds of love, and church planning. Our mission is throughout the world. And so this week, we're moving out one final crucial step. We are talking about our calling to send missionaries to the nations, that we are a part of a global mission to make disciples of all nations. And a big part of doing that uh, missions effectively is financially supporting people who are going to the unreached, to the underserved parts of the world, to bring the truth and love of Jesus to the nations. And you might think, wow, it's global mission. Grand. You know, actually, I ran into my sister, who's not a Christian, at Scotty Brown's a few weeks ago. She had a friend there, and we started talking about the church, and somehow it came up that we had a missions committee in our church. That, and, and we said, oh, yeah, and I said something like, oh, yeah, they oversee our global missions. She's like, global missions? Your little church is like, does global missions? Wow. You said, well, and of course, how do we do that? It's because we are a part of this global church. And it's Jesus. You know, we don't do these grand things. Jesus has this grand project, and we're a part of it. It's amazing. And so today, we're looking at this little letter called 3 John, tucked in the back of the New Testament there. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, a church leader named Gaius, in the early decades of the Christian church, and it gives us a snapshot into the missionary efforts of the first Christians. And I'll tell you, back when this letter was written, the Christianity was absolutely tiny. I mean, it was a total marginal sect that people are like, what are these people? They worship this man, Jesus, and what's the deal with them? And they were just a few of them in a few cities around the Mediterranean, and yet these early Christians still had this expansive vision that, Jesus is reaching the nations and through us. So it's amazing. And the way John describes the relationship between churches and the missionaries is in the end of verse 6 there. You see what it says. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. John wants us to be a sending church. So this morning I want to talk about being a sending church. What does that mean? And there are three things from this passage I want to highlight that kind of mark ascending church, the, the character of ascending church, the actions of ascending church, and the gospel of ascending church. Important insights from this little book, of letter of 3 John. So three things this morning. The first is this, the character of ascending church. What, are, what kinds of churches tend to want to send missionaries out. And this, this letter that I just read to you begins with these words in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. 
And actually, in a number of places of the early parts of this letter, those two themes, truth and love, are paired together. Those are the two things that, that go together. And those are the, the characteristics that define churches that say we want to send people out into the world to sh- spread the love of Christ. The first thing that we see is that sp- sending churches are devoted to truth, to the truth of God's word. And you can see truth mentioned over and over again in these early verses. Look at verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Churches that have a missionary passion are ones that are devoted to truth. And the re- I'll tell you the reason this is an important thing to say is talking about mission is very trendy right now in the church, at least for me. You know, when I was in seminary, I was thinking about being a pastor. Everyone's talking about mission. The books are being written about how the whole Bible's about mission, and the church is a mission. And, you know, of course, that raises some questions of like, okay, well, what is the mission of the church? What are we supposed to do? And some people say, you know, the mission is to evangelize, to share the message of Jesus so people can have their sins forgiven and have eternal life. Or some people say, you know, no, the mission is about doing the deeds that Jesus did. He cared for the broken. And so caring for the poor and for the disabled and the outcast and, you know, loving people, loving the way Jesus did, that's the mission. Or other people will say, no, the mission is is the total transformation of our culture and, you know, turning the culture more and more into the city of God. All of these, I think, have some justification in the scriptures. But one thing that John is telling us in this letter is whatever the mission is, it must have at its heart the truth. We are bringing the message about the truth of who God is, the truth about who humanity is, the truth of the world, the truth of history. We are bringing that message to a world that does not know it. An ascending church will always have a profound respect for the Bible. And it's what God has said to us. What has he said to us? We're going to listen. And all those other missional kind of aspects must flow out of internalizing, thinking about what God has said in his word, and all those other things flow out of it. And, you know, I, I learned a really powerful example of this. Several years ago, I went to a conference down in Portland, uh, and it was 5,000 people at this conference. It was a conference about caring for the needy and, and bringing justice to the world. And, you know, the average age of this conference is probably 17 to 26. I mean, there's a lot of energy in this room. And at one point, all 5,000 people were chanting, like, we can change the world. We can change the world. We can. It was like, wow, you know, there's some momentum here. And then later in the conference, they had a man named John Perkins come up to be interviewed. And John Perkins is an 81-year-old man who has spent his whole life doing community development. And he, he grew up in Mississippi. His, his brother, he's a black man. His brother was killed by a white police officer, and he, so he had to flee Mississippi and became a Christian in California, and he moved into all these low-income communities around the country and did community development. And as he was doing this interview, almost everything he said was literally verbatim from the Bible. He was just like quoting paragraphs from, you know, Titus says this, and Colossians says this, and, you know, the Sermon on the Mount says, and he was just flowing out of him. And he said, you know, all these people who say, you know, we want to change the world, we're going to help people. He said, the number one thing, you want to change the world, the number one thing you can do is plant churches in poor communities and teach people the Bible. 
81 years old, lifetime of community development. You know, he has like 14 honorary doctorates. And he says, teach people the truth. That's what they need. That's what changes people's lives. At the heart of God's mission to the people of the world is truth. But there's a second characteristic of sending churches that John pairs with truth, is that sending churches are also devoted to love for people. And we all know people or churches who are obsessed with the truth and you know, talk about the truth, study the truth, debate about truth, and yet there's not a warmth or a love for Christ. There's not humility or gentleness. Um, and they don't see that that's an important part of the truth that they're talking about is that character of who Jesus is. And that's why John also highlights in these verses that Gaius in his church, who he's writing to, uh, not only had their doctrine right, you know, they'd thought about what the Bible taught, but there was a certain culture or way of life among the church that embodied who Christ was. And you see it here in verse 3 again. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, and indeed you are walking in truth. What does that mean to walk in truth? When do you walk? Everywhere. Yeah, it's how you live life. That's how the Bible describes your lifestyle, is how you walk. In every aspect of their life, wherever they walk, they're walking in their home, they're walking in their church, they're walking in their neighborhood, they're walking in their work, wherever they are, their whole lifestyle had been shaped by the love of Christ, by the truth they were proclaiming. And that, that, was, that was their whole culture of the way they lived and they related to people. And the most important quality of that lifestyle that came from the truth is in verse 5. It says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Now who those brothers are, these missionaries who came to this community and you know, they're, they're on a journey and they're looking for people to support them and their experience, when they went back to John, they said, you know, I visited that church and those people loved us. Those people cared for us. Now this combination, truth and love, I think is Probably our big dream for what our church would be about. What is Christ's church about? We would want to be a place where there's rich doctrine, there's rich teaching, there's rich truth, but that's married to a culture of love and grace and joy and humility. Those two things together. And when you have a community that is defined by those two things, you have that combination. It says we just can't keep that for ourselves. We need to share it. We need to send it out. It can't just be it for us. If, the truth, if God brought that truth and love to us, we got to give it to others. And not only that, are we going to say it needs to be for others? Some of us here are going to say, you know what? I need to go out and bring it to others. And that's what happens in, in ascending church like this. So the, so the first, the characteristics of ascending church, they're marked by a devotion to God's truth and also a devotion to love for people. But then what does ascending church do? And this is our second point, the actions of ascending church. We see three things in this passage that ascending churches do. Hospitality, financial support, and partnership in mission. Three things. So the first action of ascending church is hospitality. And if you were here three weeks ago, we had our first sermon in this feast series. The whole sermon was on hospitality. And we talked about how the Greek word for hospitality, phylloxenos, 
takes two words, Greek words, philia, which means love, and xenos, which means stranger, and hospitality is, is love for strangers. And um, the, that word for stranger, xenos, and the act of welcoming strangers, loving them, is exactly what happens in this passage. Look at verse 5 again. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who te- testified to your love before the church. So what this is, these are Christian people who are journeying around, they're doing missions, people that this church had never met, and yet when they came, there was instantly this bond to them. And because of Christ, they were like family. I mean, many of you have known that, where you've maybe gone to another country, and you meet someone from a totally different culture, and you find out they're a Christian, it's like instantly we're brothers and sisters. We understand each other. There is a connection, there's a trust, there's an interest, and a care for one another, and a joy and I know that, you know, some of you have said you grew up in churches where maybe your family would host a missionary who'd come to town. And you'd remember, I always had missionaries who'd stay in our ex- extra room. And we'd have dinner with them, and i hear their stories about what God was doing and their hardships. I was so amazed that God's doing all this work around the world. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, because the Apostle Paul was a missionary all over the Mediterranean world, and he was starting churches. And he told the, Roman, the church in Rome, I'm going to be going to Spain, and I'm going to stop in to see you. In my, and this is how he describes his hope in Romans 1 for visiting them. He says, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What he says is what happens when churches are hospitable to missionaries, bring them in, care for them, is a mutual benefit. Because the missionary is refreshed and they're supported and they get you know, they're built up and, you know, maybe it's hard work they're doing and now they're surrounded by brothers and sisters who care for them and then the church gets to see God's alive in the world and that kind of shakes us up and motivates us and what we need too. So there's a mutual benefit. And, um, and then in the midst of that hospitality, we see a second action of, of ascending church is not only to, to welcome them, you know, love for strangers, hospitality, but is financial support. And what's happening in this passage is something like what we would call a furlough for missionaries. You know, missionaries will come back from the field and they'll go from church to church and churches will welcome them and people will house them and they'll talk about what God is doing in their, in their work and then they'll be sent on their way. And this is what John says in the second part of verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That's a great phrase. What, what does that mean, in a manner worthy of God. Well, he's, he's saying basically recognize that they're, they've come like from God's throne room. They've been sent by the king. They're, they're messengers from the king. And so you could imagine, you know, how should you treat them? Well, imagine we were all here in church and then, you know, three angels like came in through the back door and they said, we've come from the throne room of God. We have, you know, we have a uh, you know, a mission that we're on to go care for some people, and we're actually, we need your church's help to go on there. What would we do? We'd be like, wow, we get to help the angels, you know? And like, what do you need us to do? And like, how cool that we get to help the angels. That's, that's what the missionaries are. They've been sent. They're messengers that are going out to the nations, and we should honor them as if they came from the king himself. 
And the honor we would give to the king, we need to give to his ambassadors, his messengers, and esteem them. And one of the primary ways that John says we do that is through financial support. And this, you know, obviously relates to we're in a series where we're talking about giving and tithing in the church. And one of the reasons that missionaries need financial support, you see in verse 7 where it says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's how we know they're missionaries. They've gone out for the name of Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And so these missionaries, they have no income from the unbelieving world, so they are dependent on fellow Christians to provide for them and care for them. And what John is speaking about here is pastors who are ministering in places where there's not a congregation that can support them. And so where churches are well supplied, where they can pay for pastors, churches like ours, need to support the other churches where the church is just taking form and the pastors need to be supported and cared for. So, you know, you could take, for example, uh, a missionary. Our church supports the name is Timur. He has a church in Latvia. Latvia, you know, is former Soviet Union, a place that has just been steeped in the atheism of communism for generations. It's a very hard place to do ministry. He's preaching the gospel and discipling people. His church is probably less than 30 people. He's been doing it for years after years of really hard work. And he needs our support. And here's the explicit command in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. And so when it comes to our giving in the church, we may think about our giving in terms of, you know, kind of keeping CCB afloat. You know, we got to pay the staff and we got to keep the lights on. All important things to do. But we um, also have a missions committee that is building relationships with people and finding out what is God doing around the world. Not all of us have the time to, to explore that and learn about that and build those relationships. We have a committee, a, a team that is devoted to that, and they're building relationships with people in Burma and Russia and Cuba and in Turkey. We're about ready to send the Robins, you know, our beloved pastor, Daniel. He's going to go do a... a PhD in Scotland, and then he's going to go move to Malawi and train pastors in Malawi. And we got John Neville in two years, wants to go plant another church in Bellingham, and we're going to send him out to, to, you know, introduce more people. And we just had a team actually this last month, a team of people who went to Honduras from our church and uh, uh, caring for a medical missions group down there. Um, and the mission of God does not go forth unless the church sends missionaries with financial support. That's a part of how the work happens. Now, what happens when Christians and churches do this? They show hospitality to the missionaries. They provide financial support in a manner worthy of God. What does that do to us? That changes us. When we are engaged in that, it engages us in what God is doing, and that's the third thing that... Uh, sending churches do is they have partnership and mission. You see that the second part of verse 8? That we may be fellow workers for the truth. That too, that's a great phrase because what it says is that missions is not just the work of a few kind of radical people who are going to leave their job and sell everything and move across the world. That's not, missions not just their work. Missions all of our work. We're all a part of the mission. We, we're part of it in different ways. Some ways we're showing hospitality. Some ways we're doing financial support. Some of us are actually going, or we're going to encourage them. 
We are fellow workers. But that phrase there, fellow workers for the truth, could also be translated fellow workers with the truth. And it almost sounds like the truth is like a person that we're working with. And it's telling us that the truth that we are bringing is not just a message. The truth is a person. And we've been tied up with that person through the mission. And this is the last point that I want to point out. So first, we have the characteristics of ascending churches. They're devoted to, to truth and love. The actions of ascending church are hospitality, financial support, and partnership and mission. But the last thing we see in this passage is the gospel of ascending church. And in this letter, John sets a con- up a contrast between Gaius and his church, who are welcoming these missionaries, and uh, who loves the truth, loves people, and another church leader named Diotrephes. And this is how Diotrephes is described in verse 9. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Okay, so Diotrephes, he thinks of himself first. He's not loving. And he doesn't respect the authority of the apostles. He does not devote it to the truth. He's the opposite of Gaius. And as a result, he doesn't send any missionaries out. He doesn't want to send any missionaries. He has no sense of mission. Look at the second part of verse 10. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. And so here you have these two churches. One church is filled with truth and love and they're sending missionaries. And then you have another church that just cares about itself. What's the difference between the two? What makes them different? Verse 11 tells us, Beloved, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. And whoever does evil has not seen God. John says there is something about seeing God that makes you into ascending people. Because sending is something that God does. It's at the very core of his being. You know, you go look at the very beginning of the Bible and what happens. God creates the heavens and the earth and he sends forth his word. Let there be light. And there was light. And the spirit, you know, he sends forth his spirit who's hovering over the face of the deep. The whole creation, why it exists is because God is ascending God and he sends his prophets to his people and he sends uh, Jesus, his own son to us. And then he sends the spirit out on Onto, uh, onto his church, and then he sends his disciples out into the world. God is a sending God. Because what is sending? When someone sends you a package, you know, before there was Amazon, and you remember when getting a package was a special thing in the mail, <laughs> and you saw, oh, I got a package. What's it going to be? It was a gift. Someone thought of me. Someone loved me. That's what sending is. And the gospel is a gift that God thought about us. And we are a people who are defined by the truth that God sent his son to us. And so we think we have to send something to the world. God sent something to us. How can we not send something out to the world? And what's more valuable to send than human beings? Filled with the love of Christ. Carrying the message of grace to the world. That's what we have to offer as people. 
living, breathing, full of the Spirit. And we long to be a sending church because sending is an essential characteristic of God himself. The Father sent the Son into the world. The Son and the Father sent the Spirit into the world. And the church sends missionaries so that we can be like him. Let's pray together. Our great Father in heaven, we thank you that this world that is so lost and so dark, you have not neglected or ignored, but you have seen us. You've remembered us. You've thought of us. You've sent your own Son to us. You've reached us here. Lord, give us that same sending heart. Would your truth live in us? Would your love live in us? And we pray that over the decades ahead in this church, dozens, hundreds, would go out from here carrying the message of grace and showing the love of Jesus to many. Encourage us in this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.